Well, I want to start today by uh, telling you a story about a young man named Sundar Singh. Uh, Sundar Singh was uh, well known for his faith and his piety. He grew up in India. He lived in India, and he follow, his family followed the practice of Sikhism, which is sort of uh, heavily influenced by Hinduism and, and some Islam. And, uh, and Sundar, as a young man, was known uh, for his faith. But things took a turn in his life when his mother died. And Sundar was very close to his mother, and he was filled with grief. He was filled with despair and anger. And so he, the first place he took out his anger actually was at his local school because he went to a, um, a school to learn English, and they were a Christian school. And uh, Sundar uh, took a Bible and burned it page by page. But that despair, it didn't, that didn't help his despair. In fact, his despair just grew. And so he decided, he made a plan to take his own life. And for three days and for three nights, he, he, he was in his room. And he was praying uh, that, Lord, if, if you, God, if you want me to do something, if you want me to take a certain path, let me know. If you even exist, Show yourself to me. And the, after three days and three nights, he decided that the next day, if, if one of the gods, God didn't show up to him, for, um, show up, that he was going to lay down on the train tracks nearby for the 5 a.m. train that came through. And so that night he was in deep prayer, crying out, and five, at 5.45 a.m., about the time where he knew he would have to get up and lay himself on those tracks, his room was filled with a bright cloud. And the person who came out of that cloud was not someone who he expected because he expected it would be Krishna or one of the Hindu gods that he had followed his whole life. But instead, it was Jesus. And Jesus said to him, Sundar, why are you persecuting me? Sundar, I died for you. You asked the way to take, you asked the path to take, I am the way. And from that day on, Sundar's life was changed. It was changed, and he realized that he was a part of a bigger story, God's story. And Sundar went throughout all of India and the surrounding nations sharing the love of God, sharing the story of Jesus Christ and his kingdom come. So much so that he became known as the St. Paul of India. So that's the story of Sundar responding to Jesus' call to follow him. And the, the scripture passage we just uh, read, same thing, is that Jesus, walking along the water, saw a couple of fishermen and said, follow me. And they followed him, changed their life. And maybe we're here, some of you are here today, and you're also wondering, God, what do you, how do you want me to live? Do you even want me to live? Especially if you're going through a difficult time, maybe crying out to God, what's, where should I go? What should I do? Well, the good news is that Jesus doesn't just walk and call disciples 2,000 years ago, as the story of Sundar says, he calls them today. And he calls you today, he calls me today to follow him into his bigger story. 
Because we're in this series in the Gospel of Matthew. So Matthew was a follower of Jesus, and he had his story changed. He was an outcast tax collector, and yet God called him and changed his story. And then he writes about how Jesus lived and, and, and what he did. And we've been in this first section of the Gospel of Matthew that talks about Jesus preparing for his public ministry, how he was baptized by John in the Jordan River in the south, and then he was tempted in the wilderness uh, by Satan and overcame those temptations. Uh, This is what we talked about last week. But today, we see at around the age of 30, Jesus, he begins his public ministry where he's calling people to follow him, where, he's, uh, where large crowds are gathering and having their lives changed through the power of God's kingdom. And he's changing countless stories, stories of plain fishermen, James and John and Peter and Andrew, but then also all these crowds who come to him for healing In this first section, we already read it, but let's just go through it, unpack it some. It says in verse 12 that when Jesus heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee. And after after leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea. So there's a shift here. There's a shift in setting because remember, we just talked about how Jesus was in the south uh, of the country. Could you put that map up for me? Yeah, so I know it's hard to see, but this is a map of Israel. And in, the, in the, the bottom there, you see the Dead Sea. That's the big body of water. And in Judea, that's the orange area. That's where Jerusalem is. That's where, um, you know, the, the southern kingdom of Israel, that was its center. And that's where Jesus was. He was being, he was, uh, you know, in the Jordan River. He got baptized by John. And then he was in the wildernesses of Judea being tempted. But now Matthew says, but he didn't stay there. He actually went up to the Sea of Galilee, which is that other body of water up there. It's still small. It's more like a lake. I don't know why they call it a sea. You can see across it. But it's more of a lake. Thank you. And... Um, And Jesus, like, he grew up there. He grew up in Nazareth. But Galilee, that whole area, it wouldn't, the story that was told about Galilee is that, you know, that's where foreign pagan armies, they had invaded there. And, yeah, there was a a large Jewish population, but half the people were Gentiles. And if God was going to be writing new stories, if he was going to be doing something, it would be in Jerusalem. But Jesus, he's rewriting the stories of whole regions. And he doesn't go back to Nazareth, his hometown, which is a real backwater. He goes to Capernaum, which is up on the, on the um, in our picture here, the northwest uh, corner of the Sea of Galilee. And you might think, well, what does it matter where Jesus is at? Well, Matthew says, well, it, it matters because this fulfills prophecy. That this fits in God's grand story that Jesus, he is going to come and bring the light of the gospel into Galilee. And that's why he quotes um, uh, Isaiah, the prophet. In Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 and 2, the Isaiah the prophet says, The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light, and for those dwelling in the region in shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. 
So here, Jesus, he begins his ministry in Galilee, and crowds are following him. And that's the shift. He's, he's based in Capernaum. And that is where Matthew, by the way, who we'll read in a couple of chapters, Matthew, the gospel writer, he's from Capernaum. That's where Jesus actually calls Matthew, the tax collector, to follow him. Doesn't just call these fishermen, he calls Matthew. And again, unlike Judah and Jerusalem, Galilee had a large portion of Gentiles. That's non-Jewish people. But Jesus' ministry in Galilee, it fulfills prophecy. So remember, prophecy, it's such an important theme in Matthew because he is telling the people that God has a big story. He has proclaimed it from the beginning. So prophets who spoke centuries before, they're talking about the same story. So Jesus, he fulfills the, those prophecies. He fulfills the story. And in Galilee, the light of Jesus' ministry would shine, it would grow, it would flourish, just as Isaiah predicted. Jesus and his kingdom was not just changing stories of individuals, it was changing stories of whole regions, as now that Nazareth would be famous. Capernaum, the area of Galilee, would be where God is doing a mighty work, where his kingdom is coming. And Jesus... When he starts to preach publicly, his message is the same as John the Baptist. Amazingly. So he says in verse 417, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And when we looked at John the Baptist, that's John the Baptist. That's what he said. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now for those, you know, everyone wants Jesus on their team, right? And everyone thinks that Jesus is always warm and fuzzy and loves animals and pets, rainbows and unicorns and whatnot. And Jesus is kind and he's loving, but don't think that Jesus didn't offend people because he did. It was, he, he would say, repent, the kingdom of heaven is in. And so what that means, if you're telling someone to repent, you know what that means? You're assuming you're on the wrong path. You need to turn and accept God's kingdom. It's here. So adjust your life to be in line with God. That was Jesus' message. Whether we like it or not, Jesus' message is to repent that the kingdom of heaven is at hand, that God's kingdom is so present in Jesus that, yes, he's inviting all who would want to to enter that kingdom, but we need to enter his kingdom. We are drawn up into God's bigger story. So many times we want to domesticate God's story. We want to fit God into our lives, into our story. But God's so much bigger than you. He's so much bigger than me. We need to fit our story into his, not the other way around. And that's what repentance means. Repentance simply means God's story is so much bigger. I'm adjusting my life into his story because it's worth it. And what he's doing is so much bigger than what I'm doing. So that's why, of course, Jesus says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And the thing is, is he said it to everyone, even the religious folks who thought, oh, no, I'm fine. I'm in. He says, no, we all, God's kingdom is so radical that all need to repent and follow him. And so the kingdom is present in Jesus. That's why he says the kingdom of God is here because it's present in Jesus but it's already, but not quite yet. 
meaning the kingdom of God is present in Jesus. It's busting into the world. God is bringing redemption. The promises of the prophets are happening. But that full and final, the day of judgment, it has not yet happened. And in the meantime, it's the time of the spirit and salvation going throughout the world. So not just the Jewish people would be saved, but all people, all nations. And that this message to follow Jesus, it wouldn't just stay in Jerusalem, but it would go throughout in Galilee. It would go throughout the world to even places like South Hadley, Massachusetts. And so this all started, though, in Jesus' ministry in Galilee of the Gentiles beyond the Jordan. And it's while walking by the sea in Galilee that Jesus invites some rather nondescript fishermen to change the course of their life. Verse 18 says, while walking by the sea of Galilee, Jesus saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets, and he called them. Immediately, they left their boat and their father and followed him. So these fishermen are called to be Jesus' disciples. What's a disciple? It's a follower. It's a learner. It's kind of like an apprentice who joins Jesus' mission to bring the kingdom of God to the world. And so that they would be a part of ministering to the large crowds that we read about who are coming to Jesus and helping Jesus with them. And notice the final words in the call of both sets of brothers. They're parallel. It says, but they immediately left their nets or their, their father or whatever and followed him. Both sets use the same words. And this word immediately, it emphasizes that, that the radical nature as they leave their profession, they leave their family and follow Jesus. And that's Jesus' call to his kingdom. It's a call to something bigger, something greater. And he says, follow me. He says it to fishermen. He says it to tax collectors. He says it to the crowds, to the sick, to the powerless. He says it to the poor. He says it to the rich. He says it today, follow me. And these brothers, they thought they'd be fishermen their whole life. That's what their parents did. And especially in the first century, you just always did what you were supposed to. Like, you did what your family did. But Jesus, using a play on words, he says, yeah, you're, you're fishermen, but I'm going to make you fishers of men. They will be apostles who Jesus sends out with his message. And instead of bringing fish into their boats... They'll be bringing people into the lifeboat of God's kingdom. That was Jesus' call to them. And they say yes. These plain, average fishermen, their story is totally rewritten. And they become pillars in Jesus' kingdom. Because they say yes and, those thing, and drop things to follow Jesus. And then Matthew, he completes this transition into Jesus' public ministry by giving us a, a little summary of what Jesus' ministry looks like in verses 23 through 25. That he's not, yes, he's, he's uh, calling disciples to follow him closely and help him with his kingdom, but in the, in the process, he's drawing large crowds. 
And those disciples are helping him to uh, minister to those crowds. But verse 23 says, He went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So his his fame spread throughout all Syria, and they brought him all sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, those having seizures and paralytics, and he healed them. And great crowds followed him from the Galilee and Decapolis, from Jerusalem, Judea, and from beyond the Jordan. So this little section, it summarizes Jesus' ministry. As he begins his public ministry, these are the kind of things that are going on. He is proclaiming the kingdom of God. Asking people to follow him into that kingdom. And notice, he's healing all different types of illnesses. So John doesn't just say, yeah, he, he, he uh, heals people. He says every disease, every affliction, all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, those having seizures, paralytics, and he healed them. Meaning that anyone who would come to him, Jesus had power over all of these things. And he changes their stories. So he doesn't just change the story of these fishermen who come to him. He changes the story of those paralytics who, well, that's their story. They're paralyzed. That's what they're about. And Jesus enters and says, no, that's not what he's about. He's about the kingdom of God being manifest in. And so he said to people, get up and walk. There was people who came to him who were lepers, skin diseases, And that's what they were known for. They're outcasts. They can't be with us. They're a leper. That's their story. And Jesus changed their story. So no longer were they a leper. They were someone who was healed and whole. The outcast, the Gentile, they're now members of God's family. The fishermen become pillars in the Messiah's kingdom. Stories are changed New paths are taken as people respond to Christ's call to follow him. So he preached, he healed, and next week we're going to talk about Matthew chapter 5, the Sermon on the Mount, that famous sermon where Jesus is saying, all right, you're inviting people to the kingdom of God, and then he describes, and let me tell you what being a citizen of the kingdom of God looks like. That's what the Sermon on the Mount is, and, and we'll get into that next week. Jesus is doing this among crowds, explaining to them what the kingdom of God is like, inviting them to change course, that the kingdom is open to all who would want it to take a step closer and follow him. So Jesus today, to us today, he says, follow me. He says, I can change your story. He says, I'm going to bring your story up into the grand story of God, no matter your past. No matter what path you were on or are on, there is an invitation for Jesus to follow him, even today. And I started with a story of Sundar Singh, but we have other stories among us here of people whose lives have changed. And so I want to ask uh, Tom Holosovsky to come and talk a little bit about his story of how God changed him when he said, follow him. So Tom, come forward and uh, share with us a bit about your story.
Good morning. Is this on, Pastor? Yeah. Praise God. So for those of you who don't know me, my name is uh, Tom Holzowski, and I first started coming to this church when my son and his wife Chrissy and their children started coming here a few years back. And um, when Pastor asked me to give a little testimony at the end of the sermon, I was, first I was a little fearful because I don't like to put myself forward. I'm a humble person and I don't like to talk about myself, but my friend Dave Cashin, Dr. Cashin, came and preached to us um, this summer. And when we were kids back in the 70s, we were a couple of crazy, misguided, incorrigible boys, sort of a Lord of the Flies situation. <laughs> and uh, our MO was we'd be wandering the streets of Amherst at 3 a.m. on a school night, and we'd be taking all kinds of substances, LSD, mescaline, mushrooms, you name it. And there wasn't a cop in Amherst or a cop at UMass who didn't know us. And, um, but God had a plan, and he obviously didn't want me to remain that way for long. And interestingly, my friend David, his sister was a member of Campus Crusade for Christ, and she encouraged him after we had gotten out of school, I didn't graduate from school, I had to go get my GED, but she encouraged him to go to Gordon-Conwell. And um, so after he left, I met my wife Gretchen, and we were only 18 and 19, and we got married. And, but things continued kind of in the same way as uh, David and I, because Gretchen and I were great partiers, and we practiced that art. And, um, but the only difference is that Gretchen had a history with God. And uh, when she was a little child, she went to the Methodist church, and she went to something called the Good News Club. And she hadn't forgotten it. And when a new church came to town in Belchertown called the New Birth Christian Churches, she started to go there. And she was touched by God, and before you know it, she was in the services and speaking in tongues, and the Lord was ministering to her. But I resisted God. I wanted nothing to do with God. I, um, I just wanted to be able to be completely in control of my own life. But Jesus had other plans for me. And um, on the day of my salvation, the pastor's father, who was, had been friendly to me, came to my apartment. 
and I had no idea what was happening. Usually when he showed up, he was an auctioneer. He um, wanted me to either do a job for him or he wanted to go somewhere and eat a cheesesteak. And um, he came to the house, and he had never done this before, and he said to me that today was the day for me with Jesus. Something came over me. I had never felt anything like it in my life. I was just completely riveted to the spot in the power of the Lord. And he came into the house, and we stood there, and he prayed. And I felt something like I had never felt in my entire life, the power of God. And um, I want to read a little scripture from Peter that describes that moment, because I can't really put it in words. But 1 Peter 1, 8 through 9 says... You love him even though you have never seen him. Though you do not see him now, you trust him and you rejoice with a glorious, inexpressible joy. The reward for trusting him will be the salvation of your souls. And um, I was on the road to transformation and um, I tremble thinking about it now. God is so good, and Jesus is so good. And you know, um, it's interesting. I'm going to share one more scripture from uh, Joshua. Because this, I had only been saved for a little while, and somebody shared this scripture with me. I thought that... You know, God had uh, begun changing me, but I thought that it was all about an immaculate conception. And like Pastor said today, Jesus uh, roaming the landscape, healing people and touching their lives. But what I didn't know is that God was present in our lives in a very special way. It says here in Joshua, chapter 5, starting in verse 13, uh, 23, excuse me. Oh, no, 13. My eyes are bad. When Joshua was near the town of Jericho, he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with sword in hand. Joshua went up to him and demanded, Are you friend or foe? Neither one, he replied. I am the commander of the Lord's army. At this, Joshua fell with his face to the ground in reverence. I am at your command, Joshua said. What do you want your servant to do? The commander of the Lord's army replied, Take off your sandals, for the place where you stand is holy. And Joshua did as he was told. God has been with us from the beginning, from creation. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Lifting us up. Transforming us. And preparing us for whatever he calls us to do. Thank you.
Thank you, Tom. So I asked Tom to share that testimony because Jesus is still doing it. I mean, he called uh, Peter and Andrew and the disciples to follow him, and they followed him and changed lives. Uh, they, uh, he called Sundar Singh 100 years ago. He changed India. He called Tom Holosovsky, and he's calling you today to follow him. But the thing about following is that it requires change. It requires movement. I mean, think about it. If, if you've ever followed someone to whatever the store, you know, they're like, oh, I don't know the way. And they go, well, no, follow me. A lot of times, if they're just parked for a while, you're like, what's, what's going on? And you tap on the window like, well, I'm supposed to be following you. Because we assume following involves movement. And indeed, as Jesus moved on Galilee, he was, he was on the move, and he calls his disciples to follow him. And they understand, I can't follow this Jesus. I can't follow him and hold on to these nets. And so they dropped their nets and followed him. What are you holding on to today that keeps you from following Jesus? Ask him in this time, what is it, Lord, that I need to drop to follow you? And for Tom, he called Tom Holoskowski to drop many things. He dropped them, and, but he continues, right? He continues to call us. Just because one, back 20, whatever, how many years ago where God first called and you first followed Jesus, Jesus is not stationary. He's still on the move. We still must follow him. Let's pray. Dear God, we come before you and ask for your spirit to be moving in this place. Lord, we're thankful for the testimonies of Sundar Singh, of, of Tom, how you showed up in their lives in such a powerful way that they knew they needed to follow you. They knew they needed to drop some things because your kingdom was at hand. And Lord, your kingdom is still at hand. You're still calling us to follow you. So I pray, Holy Spirit, as you move about this place, you would be striking it in heart, people's hearts to drop whatever, to follow you, that you are worth it, you are worthy, and that you would be changing people's stories. Lord, there's some people who their story is one of sadness, of brokenness. Lord, I know that you want to bring them to wholeness and health today. Would they come to you for that? Lord, there are so many stories that you want to change and have changed. So invite us, Lord, into that time. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.